0: Listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. It's good to be back. I want to offer a word of thanks to uh, to the staff team, to Larry and Kaylin, Carolyn, Jaylene, and Rachel, for all that you did over the past five weeks to keep things rolling along at St. Ben's, and to Helen and Allison for stepping in to serve as presiders for the Sunday night communion liturgies. And actually to all of you as well for supporting me in taking that extended time of retreat. It was a very significant and transformational time for me And as the coming seasons unfold, I will continue to unpack all that I have learned, finding ways to keep bringing it back home. Now, when I first turned to look at these readings for this evening, and I discovered that the reading from the Sermon on the Mount was our appointed gospel, I could only smile. You doing it again, Jesus? You see, just about every time over these past five weeks, every time I I listened to a sermon or prayed a psalm or opened a book, it was as if the words were being written specifically to me at that moment in the midst of the contemplative and reflective work that I was doing on my retreat. It began at the very first chapel Eucharist that I attended, on just my second day in residence at King's College in Halifax. The preacher quoted Abba John of the desert. Now, Abba John was a fourth-century desert monk, one of the desert fathers, and he said, "'We have abandoned a light burden.'" namely, self-criticism, and taken up a heavy burden, namely, self-justification. How did you get that? We've abandoned a light burden, namely, self-criticism, and taken up a heavy burden, namely, self-justification, Self-criticism by which Abba John meant a willingness to be utterly honest with ourselves about our own failings and our own weaknesses and, yes, our sin. That's a light burden, he would say, because in honestly recognizing those things in our lives, they can be forgiven. And we can be placed back on our feet to start again, yet again. It's a posture radically open to grace and healing. The heavy burden of self-justification, on the other hand, is a posture that is always burdened. You say to yourself, well, who could possibly blame me for this? And suddenly selfish and self-destructive patterns are justified as being somehow just fine for now, or in this circumstance, or whatever. It's a holding on to anger and unforgiveness, justifying those resentments in the name of righteous indignation. The heavy burden of self-justification protects the poison that's infecting us, rather than having it drained through an honest, soul-searching self-criticism. Now that insight from Abba John all but sang through my five weeks of retreat, steadily calling me into a posture open to grace, a posture that put me under the mercy. Within a day or so of that sermon, my spiritual guide for the retreat, Gary Thorne, the King's College chaplain, Put a book into my hands, which I was to read as a focus for my prayer. It was a book about a character named Saint Siloan. Now, Saint Siloan was an early 20th century Russian Orthodox monk who spent most of his life in a monastery on Mount Athos. Now, Mount Athos is an autonomous monastic state in Greece home to some 20 Orthodox monasteries. This big book was part biography of this figure, and part an overview of his spiritual journey, including his own spiritual writings, which were kind of jotted on scraps of paper and napkins, and then later collected. The most striking thing, as I read through this big book, was this man's insistence that the most important thing, the most needful thing for all Christians is to love your enemies, what we heard in this gospel tonight. Now, remember, though, you're talking about a monk here who lived a simple and rather austere life in a world entirely inhabited by monks, and only visited by pilgrims and seekers. I mean, how many enemies could he possibly have, right? I mean, I, it's sort of, I, I, I sometimes have the same experience when I pray the Psalms, which is part of my own practice every morning. Because there's all of those Psalms that speak about my enemies, my foes, my adversaries who are attacking me or speaking ill of me or persecuting me. You know, the Psalms often come with a, a corresponding prayer that God will have vengeance on them and put it right. And I think, but do I actually have any honest-to-goodness enemies? I mean, there's some people I don't necessarily see eye-to-eye with, and it's people who kind of, you know, they kind of bug me or irritate me or frustrate me, but, but foes, enemies, people who are really out to do me harm... I don't know. Yet, here's this orthodox saint freely confessing that this was his greatest challenge. The most important thing he needed to do in order to place his life under grace was to love his enemies. Then, about midway through my five weeks of retreat, I had the opportunity of spending three days at a small russian orthodox monastery in rural nova scotia i was small it had only three monks and i inhabited the one spare bedroom that they have available for guests the abbot of that little community is a man named father luke father luke had been a monk for 40 years he's lovely and gentle and thoughtful and kind in fact when, when he first sort of showed me around, we went into the library and he said, this is where these books are and this is where these books are and this kind. He said, but of course, the most significant book in the world is up here. And I'm thinking, what's he going to reach for? The Bible, right? He reached up and he pulled down a copy of The Little Prince, the children's story. That says it all. One of our talks he was delighted to discover that I was reading this book about St. Siloan. Oh, he said, what do you find most striking in his story? To which I replied that it, it was this steady insistence on forgiveness of enemies. Oh, yes, Father Luke said, it's so important. And just when I think that I've learned to do it, I realize I have to learn again and go yet deeper. And again, I found myself wondering, how could this gentle monk possibly have enemies he needed to learn to love? Yet the theme was unrelenting over the time I was there, as it wove in and out of Abba John's call to set aside those heavy burdens of self-justification. And it maintained a a kind of a steady conversation with the texts of the three daily liturgies that I attended in the College Chapel. Now, King's College Chapel consistently uses the Book of Common Prayer, which has a highly penitential and confessional tone, constantly calling the community to honest soul-searching and ongoing repentance, If some of you will know that book and have been at a a, a Eucharist when that book is used. And one of the prayers that's said by the whole congregation, the final prayer before going forward for communion, begins We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs from underneath thy table. You can imagine the howls of protest. Coming from the self-help gurus, right? They want to build your self-esteem and encourage you to follow your bliss. And there this book is having us say, We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs from underneath thy table. But, but, thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. I can be quite a mess, I fail and I fall short and I get blind or indifferent to the hurt and sorrows of the world around me. I sometimes protect the poison that infects me rather than letting the divine physician lance the boil and let that poison drain. But for all that, Thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. You see, there's freedom, so much freedom in that little word, but. Once you begin to pray that sort of text with real honesty, smug self-satisfaction, self-justification goes up in smoke. And then the soul-searching begins. I believe that what Jesus is doing in this gospel text we read tonight that includes those words about loving your enemy, I believe what he's doing is cultivating a very particular posture in those who would follow him. Stanley Hauerwas puts it to be a disciple of Jesus, to be ready to be reconciled with those with whom we are angry, to be faithful in marriage, to take the time required to tell the truth, all our habits that create the time and space to be capable of loving our enemies. Yep, there's that word again, enemies. Again, do I have enemies? Well, maybe not of the sort of which the psalmist speaks the sort that intentionally set out to do me harm and from whom I want protection and I want a little vengeance from God. I don't have those kind of enemies, but have I been hurt by people? Are there pieces of reconciliation and forgiveness yet to be worked through? Absolutely. Always more ground to be covered. Always Because even our closest and most trusted friends are human. And human friends can fail us or hurt us or offend us even without knowing it. And the choice to be reconciled and to love right through that is at the heart of this gospel. Be perfect, therefore, Jesus says, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. Well, here Stanley Howard comments: Perfection does not mean that we are sinless, or that we are free of anger or lust. To which I'd only add, "Thank goodness," because otherwise I'd never measure up. None of us would. Rather, Howard continues: To be perfect is to learn to be part of a people who take the time to live without resorting to violence. To sustain their existence, to be perfect is to learn to be a part of a people who take the time to live without resorting to violence physical violence, emotional violence, verbal violence, all the violences that can come out of us. We take the time to live without resorting to violence to sustain our own existence. To so live, he says, to so live requires habits, like learning to tell one another the truth, to be faithful in our promises to one another, and to seek reconciliation. During my time of retreat, I had a lot of time to think through and pray through and journal through, and read through this kind of claim to discipleship. Most days, it was a good 10 or 12 waking hours on my own in my room in residence. And some of those days were just long and hard But that work of wrestling it all through, all of those words, all of that stuff that kept coming that was pure gospel, it went deep, and it was good. So very good. So it is indeed very, very good to be home. Now we are about to do something completely audacious. We're going to take a wee little baby... And we are going to, with her parents and godparents, head to the back. And we're going to baptize her into all of that gospel I just spoke of. We're going we're to mark her as a member, as a part of a community that thinks discipleship is worth doing. That thinks reconciliation is worth pursuing, that thinks the love of enemies or those who 've hurt us or offended us or who trouble us or bug us, love of those folks is actually at the heart of our identity ha huh. we're going we 're going to engraft this little girl into that kind of a way of seeing the world, and because of the the faithfulness and the promises of her parents and the friendship of her godparents and a witnessing community. As she grows up, that's what she's going to be challenged to live into and learn. It's an audacious thing, but the gospel's audacious, isn't it? So I'm going to invite those parents, Keith and Tiffany, to gather with the godparents and bring Sophie back, and uh, we'll do that. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.